Welcome to the War Room. Ryan Ray here. As always, today's guest is Vlad Jenchenko, who is the author of the Manipulation Bible. And you hear that and you go, oh my goodness, what in the world has Ryan gotten into? Is it witchcraft? No. Well, no. No, it's really good, actually. It's a way to talk to people, obviously in sales, business, etc. And Vlad is extremely well at doing um talking to people, trying to help you get better at communicating and realizing that if you go about it the right way, maybe, just maybe, manipulation isn't the worst thing in the world. Let's get to my conversation with Vlad. Well, Vlad, it is an honor to have you on the program. As I mentioned in the introduction, you're a best-selling author. You're from Germany. You talk about language. You've got that awesome book, The Manipulation Bible. You're all over the place. It is exciting to have you on the war room today how are you doing yeah doing great looking forward to that okay so let's get into um language let's talk about that just for a second um persuasion techniques i just had on um at the time of recording this um noam chomsky just last week who's obviously huge into uh language and and it's funny talking to him because how he'd want to rephrase stuff so what got you involved with um language and, and persuasion techniques Actually, it's a pretty American story. As a student, I started in a debate club, and Americans know what that is. So you start to debate, compete with other teams, try to persuade the jury, the judges. And I noticed that those guys who actually used the dark rhetoric, the manipulation techniques, they got along quite well in the pre-rounds and also in the final rounds. So I asked myself, why shouldn't I use manipulation? And later on, when I became a little bit bigger and stronger in debate, I watched Donald Trump and people like that and noticed the same stuff. The more manipulation techniques you use, the more successful you get. And I know, Ryan, many moral, morally adept people will say, but manipulation is really bad. I'm really talking just about being more successful. And if you like, we can talk about a few of those techniques today. Yeah, so maybe define manipulation in the way that you're using it in the context of the, the I can't speak, the manipulation Bible. Yeah, so manipulation for me has two major aspects. Aspect number one is you're using techniques that the other person shouldn't see. So you not openly say, okay, I'm going to use the traditional argument on you and I'm sure you're going to fall for it. So you just use the technique without telling the other person that you're using some kind of, of mm -hmm. language trick. And the second criteria of manipulation is that you do it for your own good. So you are an egoistic person who wants to win the conversation or win the deal. You're not Mother Teresa who wants to really persuade for the sake of mankind, mm -hmm. but instead you're trying to get something out of the conversation. And those two criteria are really important. Okay. So, yeah, when you just go back to the first criteria there, because um, thinking about, about that, you're, you're trying to use it without them being aware. So maybe something like very simple, like reverse psychology, people might use on their kids. It's pretty overt. It's pretty over the top, especially as an adult to an adult. If you try to use something like reverse psychology, that'd be pretty clear of what you're doing. So what would be an example of something that wouldn't be so on the nose, overt, over the top that people couldn't recognize that you're using it against them? Or on I, I think the 
the reverse psychology example is actually quite good because those people who know what that is, those are immune to this technique. Mm -hmm. But some people don't know what reverse psychology is. So as an adult, you could also use the reverse psychology. And when the other person doesn't know this trick, they will fall prey to that. So it's not that all techniques work equally well on all people. It's rather than when a person doesn't know a technique, then it's a possible victim to this technique. And I would, for instance, say that some people know reverse psychology, but they have no idea about traditional arguments. Because we have done that for the past five years, we should continue to do that. A typically mm. bogus argument about tradition. Or, for instance, appeal to authority. Because Professor X or Professor right. Y said this in his study, we should abide, uh, abide by his findings. Again, appeal to authority is not something everybody knows. That's a bogus argument. And of course, there are some advanced techniques, uh, but those basic techniques sometimes also work on smart people. It just simply depends what they know and what they don't. Yeah. And so it's interesting because dealing with people, logical, you, you know, trying to make a logical argument sometimes is a bad way to communicate to people because they're not thinking logically. And so you're trying to lay out this all logical argument. So an appeal to the authority. Um, you can also make an appeal to an irrelevant authority, which is a logical fallacy, but people might actually accept that more than they would the actual authority, which is weird. So getting in here and understanding that it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about this. One of the things I'm curious your thoughts on um, that, that I've thought about over the years at networking events is the hardest part to get people to talk is just to get them to talk without thinking you're trying to sell them. Uh, you're not trying to pitch them. And the, the, the strategy I found to be most effective is to get to, to hone in on geography. Where are you from? Do you still live there? Did you move? Why do you like it? Because it seems to invoke other memories about not business, right? It's, it's just general memories about their childhood. And they're going to tell you stuff that they, they couldn't. And so I found that to be an interesting way that people in a business environment, they're afraid of being pitched. If you start talking about where they're from, it, it, it's almost as if it's hard for you to fight that because you have all these other memories. And so is that part of kind of what you're talking about is getting people off of where they're at and steering them where you want to? Because at the end of the conversation, I have so much information on them that they gave me because they told me about themselves instead of me just asking straight line questions. So is that kind of the process that you're doing here? Um, absolutely. So this is like step one of the process, um, just asking questions, finding out about them. And people really like, like you mentioned, they really like to talk about themselves, about where they come from, their own story. That is something where people will open up, mostly will open up. But this is just step one. In the manipulation Bible, I also talk about step two. And it's, it has something to do with a thing called similarity attraction principle. So people, psychologists found out that people who are similar to each other find each other more attractive and not attractive in a sexual way, but attractive simply as human beings. So in the first step, I would try to find out the geographical or the historical roots of a person. And then I would try to build a golden bridge between them and between me. So for instance, I know that you're from America uh, and I myself have actually a not very tight, but a little connection to the United States because I studied at the Columbia University in New York. So if I met you at a networking event, I would definitely talk about my experience in the US and about the, the positivity and optimism of American people. That was somewhat uh, be a little bit similar of what you think about the American people since uh, people like to talk uh, about their own nation in a positive way. So that would be one way to use the similarity attraction 
attraction principle. And obviously a great manipulator would find more and more common ground throughout the conversation. So if I find one similarity, you can think of this as a game. Then you get one uh, attraction point. If you find three similarities, you get three attraction points. And if you can make it subtle, not super obvious mm -hmm. that you are actually collecting those similarities, but just uh, telling something else and finding a second similarity, talk about something else, find a third similarity, mm -hmm. then the similarity attraction rule will really, really work for you. And most of the time, and maybe this is the most surprising news for your listeners, most of the time, the manipulator is not an ugly, evil person mm -hmm. uh, like this, this depicted in movies, but most of the time, a great manipulator is a wonderful, appealing and charismatic person who is super nice and you wouldn't expect him to turn around and stab you in the back. So no, great manipulators it, are not evil. They're super nice people. It's funny to hear you say that because as I'm going through the geography thing, if you were from, you're from Germany. So, you know, I, my closest off the top of my head connection to Germany would be I like soccer or football, you know? So I would say, do you watch the premier league, right? That would be a connection that I would maybe try to get to you. But also we talk about weather. Do you like the cold weather? Because I don't like cold weather necessarily. So, and so if you did like cold weather, I'd go away from that. But if you didn't like the cold weather, you know, so it's, it's funny to hear you talk about that because that's exactly how it is. And what I found is, is if you can do that, it also helps you remember things that are important to that person and makes the outreach so much easier. So if you like the premier league and you liked, um, Oh, let's say you're a terrible person. You like Liverpool. Oh, you know, I'm a Manchester United fan. So if you like Liverpool, you know, there's an instant kind of camaraderie there that we can kind of go back and forth on with, with, with each other. And if the weather, you know, so, so yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because subconsciously I've kind of found that that, that works because people they're being drawn out from where they are because they're not connecting you know, this business deal with Manchester United or cold weather or playing high school football or going to college in New York or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's weird how the psychology, and I haven't found to your point about the person being aware. Um, it, it, is there certain, like, can, can you, like, now that you're aware of these tools, can you block your, can, are you able to prevent people from using this stuff on you? I, of course, I, I can't because uh, it happens automatically. For instance, my parents, they didn't read my book, but my parents subconsciously manipulated me from my birth. And also your grandparents manipulated you because we all have this manipulation DNA in us. When when I write it, my, when I wrote my book, I actually started the, the introduction with a different examples. For instance, children, when they have a math or chemistry test, suddenly the evening before that, they fake that they have headache or some, some disease and so they don't have to write the test. Obviously, this is a manipulation. This is a pure lie. And they are like 10 or 15 years old. And when we get a little bit older, maybe applying for the first job when we're 25, then we fake our CVs. We make ourselves smarter and better than we are. So all people, uh, some do it consciously, some people do it unconsciously, but everybody's playing the manipulation game. And in, in my book, I claim that since everybody manipulates anyway that it's your task to actually equip yourselves with the best techniques and manipulate better so communication for me is a kind of a chess game where if you play well you're the one who checkmates the opponent and if you don't see how the other manipulates you for instance in a deal in a negotiation then you get checkmated because you haven't seen the moves that the other person played on you so since we all manipulate i uh, am applauding the ones who manipulate best so 
You're yeah. So someone might hear this and go, okay, well, listen, I like to be the straight shooter. I just want to be the straight shooter. Tell it like it is no strings attached. No, no, no fluff. What would you say to that person? Oh, to that person, I would definitely say what he wants to hear, because again, the a great manipulator is a nice person. So I would say something like, okay, I want to give it straight to you, sir, A, B, and C. So I'm not going to tell a lot of explanation, let's give a lot of context, but I will simply adapt to his or her communication style. But the thing that I'm going to say bluntly, A, B, C, that's probably going to be mixed with a little bit of manipulation here and there. So if a person doesn't have time, I have to come to the point faster. If a person is like a shiny, yellow, charismatic, talkative person, then I will play along and do a bit longer small talk. And this is actually another technique uh, from NLP, from manipulation, is to mirror the other person. So if the other person is talkative, you become talkative. If the other person is a little bit extra introvert reserved you become a little a bit introvert and reserved yourself and this is what i call the chameleon principle so you kind of adapt to the psychological style of the other and again similar to the attraction principle the introvert loves the introvert the extrovert loves the extrovert the alpha guy likes the likes the alpha guy and disrespects the omega guy so again by mirroring even the language style i can make myself more likable if i more academic like noam chomsky i would try to use academic smart language technical terms and maybe even his own vocabulary i had uh, noam chomsky on my podcast myself so i used the word manufacturing consent quite a lot just to point out to him and to the audience that i'm kind of smart i read his book but uh, with a non-academic person i would never use the word manufactured consent, but rather talk about propaganda in the media or something like that. So adapting body language, adapting the psychological speaking style, adapting voice and adapting the, if you can, even the clothes towards the other person. That's what a good manipulator would do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't use those big words when he saw macho. <laughs> I did. I, I didn't want him to. I did not want him to think that I was a smart person because he might. He might start questioning me. So, uh, but to your point, no. The mirroring technique is is one of fascination because it's. If you think about the psychology there, right? So the psychology is: I'm going to mirror you. I'm going to smile when you smile. I'm going to slow down or, or whatever it might be. Um, if you're the person receiving, you're on the receiving end of that, right? So you're you're probably not going to recognize it as you mentioned because you like it. But if you do recognize it, it it creates this conundrum in your head because then you guys start thinking, well, hold on, am I am am I actually evaluating what's going on here, right? Because this person's acting like I would like them to act. So it's it's hard almost to kind of deconstruct when someone's acting the way that you like them to act to presume that they're doing it to trick you unless you've seen them out of that like not like um there was a politician one time. And he was at the table with us at lunch and you could tell he was mirroring every one of the table. So you could watch him and tell that he would go from conversation to conversation and he'd talk a little bit more slow and Southern. And then sometimes he'd be, and you could kind of watch it live. And so you could kind of tell he's been manipulating you, but in a one-on-one -on -one scenario, it's hard to realize that someone is mirroring you. And some of the times that I've seen business meetings, I thought really went really well and turned out they didn't was because I let the other person unknowingly mirror me for so long. <laughs> that I thought this thing went great. <laughs> and I had no idea that they had just they had just taken the bag in like 30, 45 minutes. So how can you, if someone's mirroring you, how do you deal with that? Because 
they're naturally making you feel well. So you talked earlier about, you know, recognizing these things. How can you recognize someone mirroring you? Well, one of the things that the person who's mirroring you probably isn't prepared for is a smart question. So oftentimes, like in an interview, like we are having here, if you ask simple questions to the person who's probably mirroring you, then the person will try to mirror the response. But sometimes, and you know this maybe from NLP as, as well, you can break the pattern and suddenly ask something so personal or something so outrageous that the person will actually fall uh, fall for that and suddenly change their pattern completely and they will be out of rhythm. So for instance, um, to, to give a, I would say a not nice, but a truthful example, um, having studied your podcast, having listened to some of your shows, I have seen that you had Ted Cruz uh, on your podcast and uh, that's a pretty big guest. Uh, so when you're mirroring me and trying to be nice to me and I want to find out are you mirroring me or are you simply a nice person? My pattern interrupt would be to ask you, how can someone with such a small audience like you have Ted Cruz on the show? And suddenly I'm asking you a question that's actually quite personal and attacking you and your show. And if you were really and truthfully nice to me, you will still remain nice after this attack that I gave at you. But if you were just pretending, then uh, suddenly you would turn into a monster and attack me back and say, who cares? I had known Chomsky. I had Ted Cruz. It's none of your business. So with such a provocative question, you would actually know or try to find out if the other the person is acting nice or being really sincerely nice. So that's what I would actually advise to all people who are not sure if the other person is mirroring or if they're simply nice because our friends mirroring us automatically and they don't, don't want to manipulate us. They just want to be in the same mood. They want to be in the same place mentally and uh, uh, emotionally, but if the other person is in a negotiation, you can provoke them by an unexpected question. And if they suddenly change their mimics, their gestures, their body language, then you know that the other stuff was fake because a nice person remains nice, whatever you do. So who is mirroring who right now? Uh, that is for the jury to find <laughs> out. Okay, so... We have mirroring, which is a technique. Um, I think I first heard that in Chris Voss's book, um, Never Split the Difference. He talks about that as a as an FBI tactic. I think it's the first time I heard that. And it's, it is interesting to kind of go through these these different layers. Um, and you've touched on this a, a few times, so I'm going to go back to it. The manipulation tactic, right? So some people might hear this go, well, okay, I'm a good person now. Um, I, I have a good product, good service, good whatever interest. However, um, is there a slippery slope to learning something like this, learning how to communicate this way that ultimately I'm going to go down a dark path and use this to manipulate people um, for things that aren't good? Yeah, definitely. So manipulation has those uh, difficulties that sometimes you use that for the bad in people. But um, again, in my book at the end, uh, where I ask the question, is manipulation morally wrong? There are actually a very, very two distinct criteria of manipulation. Uh, when you, If you remember at the beginning, I said, uh, number one criteria is the other person doesn't know that I use a certain technique. And number two criteria, I use this for my own benefit. So I'm an egoist. But then there is an invisible third criteria. And this question is, 
am I doing harm to the other person or am I actually doing a good thing to another person by manipulating him doing something uh, what I told him to do for so we can imagine an example where I talk to a person that became alcoholic drinking too much wine or drinking too much beer in the evenings but I know this is a programmer or an engineer so a very numbers oriented person who actually believes science what I could do is actually manufacture, and maybe he drinks just one beer uh, per night or something. So I could manufacture some studies and some numbers, and I could trick him into believing that even one bottle of beer is bad for his health, uh, although he's saying no just one beer won't really harm me and harm my sleep and harm my health so i actually can present him false studies and false data but at the end of the day i manipulate him through authority arguments and false studies into stopping drinking or into stopping smoking or into stopping being late by explaining him some bogus arguments why he should be punctual that are actually untrue but it leads to the fact that the person is actually doing what he or she should do and what's beneficial for him so the third invisible criteria that i didn't mention at the beginning because it's quite complicated is i can manipulate people for their own good and parents do that many times. For instance, if they want to manipulate children to read a book, my parents, for instance, forced me when I was uh, when I was little that I should read ten pages um, of um, of a poem, and then I could go swim. And definitely, this is emotional blackmail. Yeah. So so I want to go swim right now. I'm eight years old, and the sea is great. But they say you can after you have read 10 pages uh, in that book. So they're using um, a, a technique that's definitely dark, that's manipulative. Uh, it's not what parents who are enlightened philosophers should or would do. But this blackmail, you can do X only after you do Y, was actually benefiting me because I read 10 pages and got a little bit smarter than before. And uh, parents might use this, friends might use this, and even sometimes leaders can use this on the, the, their employees. So for instance, uh, a leader, team leader could say, if you go to the seminar, you have a much greater chance to get a race by the end of the next year. And this leader knows that there is not going to be a raise in salary, but he tricked him, his employee, to actually go to the seminar to become a little bit smarter by programming or uh, pers personal development and stuff like that. So I can manipulate, I can create a benefit for me, and at the same time, a benefit for the other person, be it a child, be it parent, be it an employee. And then the manipulation becomes white manipulation, not the dark side of the manipulation that is evil. And that is a, a subtle difference. I can manipulate and harm the other person. Then it's very, very dark. Or I can manipulate and actually change the behavior for the good of the other person. Then it's still manipulation because I don't play with open cards, but it's a positive uh, uh, art of manipulating people. Are you ever worried um, that the good intent to manipulate someone for good. So let's just take an example. Uh, Bob's drinking too much. You want Bob to drink less. You appeal to these authorities, whatever. Use your example. Uh, and in doing so, Bob stops drinking less. But in that process, Bob ends up divorcing his wife, leaving his family because he, he's now he's changed. And so obviously it wasn't good for Bob to drink, but but you've set him on a trajectory that that there's unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. 
Oh yeah, definitely. So unintended consequences are a big moral problem. You cannot know what the person will do. But in this example uh, uh, that Bob or uh, any person drinks less, actually probably you can assume that the unintended consequences will be beneficial for the whole world because a person who is alcoholized doesn't take the best decisions in the world, doesn't treat his spouse or his children in the best way. So sometimes you can really make a kind of objective guess that a person who will go to a seminar and learn something, learn a language, or a person who will drink less or a person who will smoke less, that these unintended consequences with very high probability will be positive. But I will grant you the fact that sometimes if you, for instance, manipulate the person and you are a big believer in, in the stock market. So for you, it worked out in a couple of years and you won like 30% or 50% in stocks. And then you motivate the other person to also invest in a certain single stocks like Microsoft, Facebook, Google, and whatever you have. Then uh, you actually can lead the other person to lose 50% or all of his money because the other person picks the wrong stocks. So if you want to manipulate in a, let's say, a very, very positive and, and uh, long-term way, you should really be really sure that the unintended consequences might probably or surely be positive. Like, for instance, in the example that the person stops drinking, but the second example, the person should suddenly invest money in stocks, as you can see, might be very dangerous for the other person. So you have a kind of a responsibility to make sure that the unintended consequences are probably going to be fine. Or sometimes you also have cases where you manipulate the other person and there is a neutral um, so the neutral consequence on the other side. So the other person doesn't benefit, you don't harm them, but you get an advantage out of it. So you kind of can differentiate, you manipulate in an evil way when the other person has a harm, you manipulate in a good way when the other person has a benefit, and you can also manipulate uh, a person that uh, for him or her, it's like almost nothing, it's uh, completely neutral, but for you, it has a great effect. One example for that is, for instance, if you publish a new book, and you ask a good friend to write a review for your podcast or for your book, for that person, it's a thing of, let's say, two minutes or three minutes. So it's kind of neutral for him. But for you, it's very, very positive to have a review on your podcast or on your book. And if you do that with 10 friends, you have 10 reviews, it looks better uh, if you publish a book or if you publish a podcast. So, uh, and if you did that, not just by asking a person, but by using some kind of manipulation technique, for instance, emotional appeal to pity and say, oh, you know, I have this podcast for such a long time and I just got two reviews. It would be really helpful if you gave me a third one. So if you use dark rhetoric, if you use the manipulation technique of pity and bring the person to write your review on Amazon or an Apple podcast, and the person uses just two minutes to do that, then I would say it's a neutral consequence for the other, but of course it's beneficial for you. So the third criterion, so one we have said it's um, in the dark, so manipulation happens without the other person knowing it's happening. The second thing is that of course you benefit, and the third, the difficult criteria is that we also have to ask, always have to ask, is there a benefit in the other person? Is there a harm in another person? Or is this the act kind of neutral to the other person? Uh, and we are still manipulating. Oh, 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 so on that note, um, listeners, if you could, please give me a five-star review. So Vlad will not make fun of my tiny audience anymore. Um, that would be tremendous if I could get a five-star review. 
so he won't make fun of me anymore and I, I don't have to cry slowly at night so um is that is that a good pity plea is that, is that how it works i i think that's great you learned you learned <laughs> you applied it's perfect <laughs> okay um so how does this work so you said earlier about being aware so conversation is kind of tough you can be aware but it's gonna be tough it's because you're trying to respond you're trying to think through it but these tactics i'm sure are being deployed against us on youtube or um you know advertising so how do we combat this from the defensive side as we're watching or listening to things because there's no two ways there's a one way so how do you watch for uh, watch for those things in those in those contexts yeah i mean uh, the best way is simply to know the most common manipulations so i would say that there are about five six or seven that you actually should be aware of of course in the book you will find like 120 of them but for instance one technique that's always applied uh, on the internet or also in real life is scarcity so pretending that something is really scarce that there are only few seats left so when you go on booking.com for instance or any uh, platform they will show you three other people are watching at this room right now please book now to secure the seat or something and if you know that um, that scarcity is employed everywhere then definitely uh, you know to watch out for that and some things are really scarce like uh, gold or diamonds but uh, most things on the internet aren't so if you see that scarcity move where uh, you you got an email and the offer expires in five hours but it, actually it's a webinar so the webinar is should be always on the internet and it shouldn't end then you know that the other person or a company is trying to manipulate or to trick you same thing uh, is for instance besides scarcity as we mentioned authority because very many authorities are actually wrong about many things uh, we just uh, had mr fauci being wrong about very very many things in the last couple of years but still it's professor dr fauci um, and for some people he still is working as an authority so if you have to cite professors or doctors then it's also kind of uh, a sign that your arguments are not standing by themselves because if it's convincing you don't have to cite professor fauci you just say why masks are important or why masks aren't important you don't have to uh, quote actually a big authority on that and the last thing i want to mention that happens really often is uh, the principle of presence or in psychology we call it reciprocity where somebody is giving you a free gift the problem with free gifts is that it creates a, a, a feeling of guilt and you have the obligation or you feel the obligation to give something back. So when you are in negotiation with an insurance broker or with a car salesman, you really have to be aware of the fact that you shouldn't accept gifts. So somebody wants to give you something, a bottle of wine, whatever it is, and you really respectfully decline. And by the way, special tip for the ladies outside, same trick is of course um, used by the guys in the bar they buy you drinks actually by using this principle of reciprocity so you feel slightly guilty to give them something back of course we have an adult audience and people can imagine what this give something back might mean but for a feminist lady who really wants to protect her own autonomy i would pay for the drinks myself so i don't feel inclined to do something that i might later regret and i would say if you watch out for those things what we talk about mirroring is quite common scarcity is quite common authority 
poverty is quite common, then you're kind of uh, good to go. Uh, and if you want to know more, the Manipulation Bible is, of course, the best book of all time uh, that you can read about this topic. Yeah, and just, just a quick tip for the webinar thing. Um, I remember one time someone sent me, I don't know, years ago, the webinar, the, the SaaS product, whatever it was, and it was expiring at midnight. But the, you know, like it had the countdown clock, six hours, forty-two minutes. And so I clicked on the link, and I was looking, and I was like, "Hmm, the price is going to go up." I don't know, maybe I want to buy it. And then, I, and then somehow I, I got, I closed the browser by mistake or something. I ended up refreshing the browser, and the clock went back to the original time. And even though it'd be like 20, 30 minutes, I was like, "Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute." So now I always. If they send me something, but the first thing I do is just give it, you know, 30 seconds or whatever, hit refresh to see if the timer actually even resets because they haven't even done the bare minimum there. It's, um, but you're right that, but if you listen to the email marketers, that's what they all say, like, you know, start, you know, they'll pound your email those last two or three hours because people, they, it's just something about us. And that, that, that the scarcity one, it might be the, the hardest one to fight because even though you might be aware of it, what if they don't lower the price of this? webinar after tomorrow what if they don't and it doubles in price you know and i'm sure kindle has sold a billion books on kindle deals you know, even though they go on and off on and off and so uh the scarcity one is is really something to behold because um in the age of digital products you shouldn't be pushed that way but that seems to be maybe the hardest one to overcome any thoughts on why that might be uh, well, I mean, first of all, knowing that the scarcity thing exists and being aware of that is, is helpful. But um, there is also another technique that's quite powerful uh, called social proof. So, for instance, nowadays in social media, you can actually fake and buy testimonials. You can fake and buy five-star reviews. You can fake and buy YouTube subscribers, Instagram followers. Uh, and even in Germany, I don't know how, how often it's done in, in the US, but in Germany, I would say that I get at least one email per month offering me uh, suddenly to have 50,000 YouTube followers for just $500 or something like that. And of course, on, on the first side, you could say, well, but they are fake. Nobody will believe that I suddenly gained 50,000 YouTube followers. But actually, uh, to invite interview guests, that might be a clever move just to pretend that your channel, be it a podcast, be it YouTube, is bigger than it re is because it kind of pretends that you have this social proof and this social acknowledgement by your peer group or by your uh, general audience. So also be aware not only about the scarcity thing, but also when people really put in the front their numbers and they say, I have 500 of this, 2,000 of this, 150,000 of this. So if people really try to put the numbers in your face, that also might be a hint of manipulation, especially in the form of social proof. And people fall for that. So, so for instance, some guests are, that I invite to my own podcast are not, not really agreeing. So, so I had one. I cannot mention the name because the guy is famous in Germany, but let's call him Peter. He's not Peter, but let's call him Peter. He told me to come back when I have 100,000 uh, uh, subscribers on YouTube. And right now I have, uh, I think, 70,000. And, and this is a pretty funny statement because I could get out, pay 300 euro, buy 30,000 that I'm missing to get the 100,000 YouTube followers. And then he would actually come to my show and he's quite famous in Germany. So those things are 
are, are of course sometimes difficult to um, really find out is the other person really popular or has he bought his followers or his five star reviews but a clear indication that you uh, are uh, talking to a manipulator is when he's putting numbers into your face because then he's proud of them and probably a person that really deserved them will be a little bit more modest and only talk about numbers when he or she has been asked. Okay, and so one final thought here on this as we get ready to wrap up. You mentioned you're in Germany. Um, so when you think about uh, okay, your, your uh, European and German culture and U.S. culture is not identical, but there's a lot of similarities. Um, perhaps maybe Chinese culture and American culture is a little bit different. So for we actually have a decent little following in China and around the world. So people might be listening to this in the Philippines or somewhere. Go, well, well, does this actually work in a different culture or is this more of a European Western culture type tactic? What, can you expand upon that or give, give your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so the good thing uh, about manipulation is people are more similar than they think. Uh, so I've been to the Philippines, I've been to Botswana in Africa, I've been to South America, to the US. And for instance, if we talk about scarcity, behind this scarcity principle stands the fear of missing out, the FOMO, fear of missing out. And this fear uh, people have everywhere. So we are always afraid to miss things that other people might get. And that's an evolutionary principle because if other people get what we wanted and they are scarce, then we will not survive, but the others will survive. So all techniques that we spoke about today actually work on an international uh, uh, level. So uh, the authority principle, everywhere people are a little bit insecure, every people don't have enough information. So if you quote a big man or a big woman as a big authority, people tend to follow authorities and tend to believe authorities, even if they're made up or even if they are an authority, but on another topic, but still you're using them. So everything that we talk about, or for instance, the mirroring principle, we always like people that are similar, be it in Russia, Russia, be it in the US, be it in the Philippines. So those principles are universal. I would say that the big difference between the cultures are about different things. So for instance, about politeness or about how to approach a conversation, how to say hello, how to say goodbye. Can you say Vlad to me? Can I say uh, Ray to Ryan to you? Um, is that possible or isn't that possible? But this psychological techniques, since the psychology and the brain are kind of evolutionary, uh, the same <laughs> product in our heads, um, I would argue that it is quite, quite similar. It's just the clothes that we're wearing is different. The level of politeness is different. Maybe also the speed of language for instance, the Spanish people talk super fast and some other cultures are extremely slow in, uh, in their speaking pattern. But the idea, I don't want to miss out, I believe in authority and I like people like myself, are, I would argue, universal. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I've been to you know, China and Africa and Central America. And if you're kind of briefed on the cultural customs, just the bare minimum, how to say hello, like you're saying, it, it gets you really far, really fast because they appreciate the effort. And so it kind of knocks down some of that stuff. And so then to your point, it kind of the, the common ground that you're looking for to, to deploy these tactics are now there because you kind of got the basics through and they, they kind of not accept you as one of their own, obviously, but they kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, he, 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 he appreciates what we're doing around here. And so therefore the guards kind of come down. Okay. 
All right, so we're going to... Yeah, and the last example maybe that I can give since uh, we're talking uh, about Americans as well, John F. Kennedy used that in Berlin in his famous speech, uh, Ich bin ein Berliner, I am a Berlin person, in his uh, famous 60s speech where he actually started to speak German in the middle of his speech. And of course, the German crowd went crazy. Uh, he didn't pronounce the sentence right and he meant something else as what the German uh, crowd understood. But as you mentioned, alone the effort from John F. Kennedy was so nice to hear for a German audience that an American president starts and tries to speak German, that was already enough. So, so uh, making the effort is always worth it. Um, unfortunately, you not always know if the person who's making the effort is a truthful one or a manipulating one. Okay, where should we, where should uh, my tiny audience go to find you? Your tiny, but after this interview, huge, huge audience, <laughs> uh, I would invite uh, simply to go on Amazon and um, uh, check out uh, my book, The Manipulation Bible. Most of my content is, of course, in German since I'm located in Munich. Now we are having the Oktoberfest. So if you want to come to us yeah. and drink lots of beer. Um, and if you personally want to um, email uh, me or write me a message, you can do so via Instagram. Uh, my name is Vlad.argumentoric. Maybe we can put it in, 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 in the footnotes. Um, so if you have a question, write me via Instagram. And if you want this wonderful book that's written by a big authority and it's very scarce, there are only three books on the shelf today, by now, um, then definitely uh, try to use Amazon. And I hope your audience had fun with the discussion. And if you like, in a year or two, we can also deconstruct the manipulation techniques by Donald J. Trump. I would love that to come back and do that, because that is obviously a hotly contested uh, thing. And <laughs> yeah, a lot of thoughts on that. So yeah, um, We'll link to the book, link to your website. I see your Instagrams on your website. So I'll, I'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes um, for the listeners and enjoyed this and uh, look forward to talking to a year or two about the techniques of Trump. So that, that should be fun. That, that should be definitely fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Okay. What do you think about my conversation with Vlad? Is manipulation a good thing, a bad thing? And what about the shot he took at me? Man, what a shot right there in the middle of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. To join the conversation, go to warroommedia.com. Talk to you there.